everyone, and welcome to episode 182 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the full crew this week, which means Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. How's it going, Richard? Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, not much, not much, not much. Excited to uh, talk some magic stuff. We have a decent amount of news this week, but before we get to that, we also have Guest number two, Chris Van Meter. How's it going today, Chris? Uh, it's doing very well. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, so before we jump into it, a quick shout out to the sponsor of our podcast today, which is SpikesAcademy.com. They are the first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy, and their online courses come from some awesome players, Hall of Famers like PVDDR, Paulo Vitor, Dama De Rosa. You can join the academy today over at SpikesAcademy.com and even get 10% off with the discount code Goldfish. Also, if you're looking for more information, on today's sponsor. Check him out on Twitter, Spikes underscore Academy. Uh, so this week, we have a few different topics. The big topic is Commander 2018 spoilers started today. So we're going to talk all about what we've got so far. We still have, like, most of the week of spoiler season, so we're kind of limited mostly to one of the four decks. But still, Commander 2018 spoilers. We'll go over the tournament news. There was a team open this weekend. A couple of interesting things to come out of that. And then... We want to do like a lightning round where we mentioned a few different topics before jumping into fish mail, but we'll get to that when we get to it. So first off, let's start with probably the most fun topic of the week, which is Commander 2018, the new Commander deck series officially releasing, I believe, August 10th. So we have a little while till they come out, a couple of weeks, but we got spoilers today. So first off, what are you thinking of the spoilers that we've seen so far? And then, Richard, after that, you can uh, take us through some of the sweet new cards. So, overall impressions, day one of spoilers. Uh, it wouldn't be spoiler season without the leaks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. They were supposed to spoil, I guess, a deck every day. And today's deck is the Artifact deck. So, it is headed by Sahili. And someone decided, hey, we have Commander 2018 products, let's just put the boxes online. So we actually have all four Planeswalker Commanders to talk about today. And then the cards from the Sahili deck, which is the Artifacts deck. And so far, my impression is the power level is high with these cards. There, there are a lot of cards here that I'm like, oh, okay, this, this seems pretty good. This seems pretty good. So, so far, uh, the cards look pretty good to me. Sahili is busted. Oh my <laughs> lord, is she busted. There are going to be so many times where you just play Sahili and plus one to reduce the cost of your next spell and demolish somebody. That sounds like a segue into our actual spoilers. So let us talk about Sahili the Gifted, the, the Planeswalker face, I guess, of the Artifact deck. So two blue and a red, four starting loyalty, so it's a four CMC Planeswalker, plus one, create a 1-1 one, one colorless servo token. Uh, that's not the one that Chris was referring to that's broken. <laughs> the next ability, plus one. The next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast for each artifact you control as you cast it. Minus seven for each artifact you control. 
create a token that's a copy of it. Those tokens gain haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. Yeah, I think Chris nailed it. That For me, the plus one that makes something cheaper, that is the calling card of Sahili. Like, making servos fine, like, it does support the other abilities. I guess you can chump block with it, but really a 1-1 servo is not that exciting in Commander. The ultimate, if you get to it and have a decent board state, doesn't necessarily just win you the game, but it's a lot of value. You're probably going to draw a bunch of random cards, and get in a bunch of damage, so it's pretty strong. But really, like, the plus one to make something cheaper, that's a scary ability, because you got to think, this is Commander. You're playing an artifact deck most likely already, so making something cheaper is going to allow you to, like, you can't just cast an Eldrazi or a Blightsteel. You could also try to, like, combo and play it and cast a extra turn spell and then do it again the next turn and do it again the next turn. You're already playing tons of mana rocks, so they're essentially adding extra mana since they can tap for mana and they're giving a discount with Sahili, so I feel like that ability has potential to just you cast Sahili, immediately win the game, or either either win or pull very far ahead with just activating it once, and if you go the combo route, maybe just like take a bunch of turns and literally win the game before your opponents get to untap. Yeah, I mean, the, the one less uh, I assume will interact favorably with X spells. Um, I don't know exactly how it works with Overload, I'm hoping that you can't just overload Cyclonic Rift on the cheap with this, but who knows? Oh, oh. <laughs> I, uh, I'm hoping not to. <laughs> just like being able to play, you know, like a Blightsteel Colossus, the turn that you cast Sahili seems pretty insane. Just like fur- furthering your development. Um, like, there's going to be turns where, like, on turn three, you play this f- from your command zone and then plus it and just play Solemn Simulacrum for free. Like, that is an insane amount of value. Yeah, it is very strong, considering that you can also just ramp her out. So her four loyalty might actually keep her alive long enough. And it is commander, so we have mana rocks, we have artifact lands. Uh, we, you know, you have your servo tokens, and you have all kinds of things. So it's very plausible to just, like, turn one Sol Ring turn two, place a Healy, plus drop a Solemn Simulacrum to block, and then, you know, you can just go off like this. Uh, you're not even counting, you know, the the dream hands of Sol Ring, Mana Crypt into Mana Vault, into Voltaic Key or something, and, you know, you're gonna go nuts with this. So, I I think you play this and become Arch Enemy if you haven't just won the game instantly on the spot. I think... Big Eldrazi, Blightsteel, big X-Spells are going to gain a lot um, of, I guess, popularity from Sahili. And it just just seems like, what is the downside of Sahili here? It's just too good, I think. I, I don't know why you wouldn't be jamming her into all your artifact decks. Yeah, I I think I kind of agree. Like, I guess... On the other hand, if you don't have much going on or many artifacts, then she's pretty tame. Like, when she's good, she's going to be insanely good, because a plus one is going to add 5, 10 mana, which is just really insane for 4 mana. But if you don't have a bunch of artifacts, just, like, playing her, make a Thopter, she dies, you get a 1-1. One, one. Like, the I don't know. The worst-case scenario is she's not that good, but there's definitely a ton of upside if you build around her. And because she's legal as your commander, you can afford to kind of, like, build around her, because you aren't digging through your 99 to try to find her. You know you have access to her every game 
Now, th this card is also legal in Legacy, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, it can be pitched to Force of Will. Uh, artifact lands are legal in Legacy, and this seems like it would fit perfectly into like some sort of Goblin Welder, um, uh, Grindstone, Painter Servant style deck. So we might even end up seeing this card make a potential splash in Legacy, just as a way to kind of facilitate some busted things that you can do there. What about Vintage? Every time we have also anything <laughs> that has artifacts in it, and blue also helps, Vintage is always a question. I don't know what you would do with this, but you could probably do something. Alright, we have our next commander, known as the Creepy Child Arch. <laughs> we have Aminatu, the Fate Shifter. This is your Esper commander. White, blue, and black, so three converted mana costs, three starting loyalty, plus one, draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your library, minus one, exile another target permanent you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control, minus six, choose left or right. Each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than Aminatu, the Fate Shifter, controlled by the next player uh, in the chosen direction. And eh. Eh. What is, so what is the ultimate so you choose left or right and then everyone just shifts control of all of their non-land permanents basically yeah so I think like it kind of rewards you if you're playing a creature light permanent light control style deck like you probably don't have much but your opponents probably do have stuff so you get their stuff and they get your nothing ish but I don't know. This card doesn't stand out as super powerful to me. I guess the one exception is we don't know what other top of the library synergies you are. Like, putting Miracles back on top of your deck is really powerful. In general, like, actually looting where you're drawing and putting a card into your graveyard is better. But with Miracles, I don't know. Like, all of a sudden, putting the card on top of your deck is an upside. But Flickering, we had, was it, uh, Kai Kaya? Was that the Planeswalker from Conspiracy yep. that kind of did something similar? So, And she never really caught on in Legacy, or and I never even really see her see Heavy playing Commander. So I think outside of top of your library synergies, which is what that deck is going to be about, so maybe we get some really sweet stuff. I'm kind of like, meh about this one. Yeah, same. I'm not super excited. Like, draw a card and then put a card back on top of your deck. Like you said, it's cool with Miracles and all. But, like, the shifting permanence is really, really weird. Maybe it becomes something where you try and, like, take advantage of problematic permanence that you can play and then give to your opponents. But that's, like, something that other commanders have already done. So I don't think that's exceptionally new. Uh, I kind of... I, I, I hope... I would have hoped that the the minus on this would have taken advantage of knowing the top of your deck, but it doesn't, so it just seems weird that that's, like, the theme of the deck, but the commander facilitates it but doesn't take advantage of it. It just feels weird to me. That's a good point, actually. I hadn't really thought about that, but the abilities are very disconnected and don't really work together in any meaningful way. So it is, you just control for the rest of the game, uh, the, the minus six. So it's not until end of turn, if I'm reading this right. And then what you do then, so you, you somehow ultimate, and then you use the minus one to start blinking. And when you blink, you, you get it back under your control. So I think that's where the synergy comes from. 
Uh, but that requires getting seven loyalty, ultimating, and then blinking. So I'm going to assume there's other pieces in this deck to, to make this work better. But my guess is you swap control of stuff and you blink. And that will be some of the support cards you see in this deck. The plus one... I, I don't know. Maybe you could use this in Legacy or something to set up miracles better, but I don't know if you want to play this kind of do-nothing planeswalker to get that done. Uh, but setting up miracles in Commander and presumably setting up all your other top-of-library cards uh, that we're going to see when they spoil the actual deck. Like I, I think this is a synergy Commander, and if you just play it by itself, it's going to do nothing. So we're going to have to see what the rest of the cards in this deck actually do yeah i agree i think it's that's kind of the the disappointing part about these leaks is we're seeing cards that like this one is a great example that probably need the rest of the cards in the deck to really make sense especially with a unique theme like top of your library matters so we're just seeing the commander but we're not seeing what the commander works with so maybe we'll be more hyped about it in a couple days once we get spoilers for the rest of the esper deck all right next up we have our bant commander estrid the mast one green white blue so four cmc three starting loyalty plus two untap each enchanted permanent you control minus one create a white aura enchantment token named mask attached to another target permanent the token has enchant permanent and totem armor uh, minus seven put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard return all non-aura enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield then do the same for aura cards this is another planeswalker that i'm kind of like okay like it seems cool i what can you do with the plus two ability like that's the ability to me it feels like if that ability is good the planeswalker could be pretty good but i'm not really sure if it's only enchanted permanence, like how do you go about abusing that plus two ability? And I'm sure there's probably a way out there if you like enchant your creatures with stuff that let them tap for mana or something, then untap them. It could be sweet, but I don't know. It's definitely a card that doesn't jump off the page uh, at me as being especially broken or powerful. So, so there are uh, land. You can enchant your lands, and it allows you to untap lands to generate mana. Um, and you can also just find some way to enchant your chain veil and go Ooh. and go infinite with your planeswalker. Perhaps Ooh, that minus one ability that can create a token enchantment can enchant your chain veil. Okay. 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 I'm coming around. You put Utopia Sprawl on your lands and your fertile grounds and stuff. Then you go. Okay. This actually, that seems pretty busted. Now that you've explained <laughs> it to me, this seems like it could be pretty powerful. It also, like, if you have a creature that's enchanted that has a tap ability, it lets you kind of, like, double dip on something that may have a tap ability. So how good do you think is giving something totem armor? It's, like, kind of a way to protect your thing. If you're not familiar with totem armor, basically, first time that thing is destroyed, the aura is destroyed instead, and you get to keep your thing. It's, like, a weird automatic regeneration, sort of. How good is that ability? Like, is that an upside? You're playing, like, a good creature, and then you're kind of protecting it, or is it just not actually that relevant outside of uh, using the plus two to, like, abuse it and combo off? Can I can I take a minute to complain here about the templating? Because I don't know what Totem Armor is. I mean, I think I know from Boggles, but that's not a keyword. Like, why are they using it, like, as a keyword or something here? And assuming you know what it is, like, how much time are you going to spend... 
explaining to players what totem armor is because there's like no reminder text. It, it, it was a keyword in Rise of Eldrazi, and those cards had reminder text. And I have to imagine that there's like some cards in the deck that have totem armor with the reminder text, so that will help you. But that doesn't like solve the issue that like this front-facing card for the deck has this keyword but no reminder text, which makes it a little weird. I think I'm looking right now at Umbra Mystic, which was one of the Rise of Valdrazi cards. It was like a a lord almost for Tortum Armor. And the reminder text is, if an enchanted permanent you control would be destroyed, instead remove all damage from it and destroy the aura attached to it. And my guess would be on a Planeswalker that kind of has four abilities thanks to the legal is your commander text, I'm assuming it just literally would not fit on the card. Yeah, but how do people understand what this card does by reading it? <laughs> like, I, like you got you got to like pull out some extra information and totem armor. I, I play a lot of Magic. I don't remember this, you know, this this keyword from so many years ago. And the only reason <laughs> I know is from Boggle. So if you play Modern, you you might know about this. But if you don't, then you're like, how are you supposed to understand this card? So are you trying to say that there's at least one good thing about Boggles and that it teaches people <laughs> about totem armor? <laughs> uh, this whole deck is probably Boggles. <laughs> so yeah, you're going to oh, become no. very familiar to totem armor. But back to the card. So I, it's pretty good, right? Because that minus one basically lets you use the plus two on anything. It's just an enchant permanent. So even if your totem armor ability is irrelevant, you've enchanted something which lets you plus two and untap, and there's probably a million infinite combos you can do with this with the ability to just untap everything. So I think this is pretty good, right? And the ultimate is just replenish, right? Uh, sort of, but only for seven cards. But it's essentially, or does no, no, it? You mill yourself. Does it do seven. it to your? You mill yourself oh. seven and then do it. Oh, I I was reading that wrong. That it was just those seven cards. Yeah, that is actually replenish and actually pretty good. Play your Seder Wayfinders and like self mill stuff, and then try to ultimate it does ultimate in just two pluses although in commander it's kind of hard to keep planeswalkers around when you have three people attacking you but still it is a powerful ability my biggest gripe about this commander is that it's going to incentivize people to play with the card opalescence and nobody nobody has a good time trying to figure out how that card works (laughs) (laughs) that is very true the only good news is uh that's pretty expensive right it's got to be yeah it's like 30 bucks or 40 bucks or something (laughs) Twenty twenty three dollars. It is. Re- oh man. Well, speaking of car cards that might be more expensive in a few days, that seems like the kind of card that people will uh, purchase as the result of this commander. All right. Last up, we have our Jund Planeswalker Lordwind Grace. Two black, red, green. So five CMC, five starting loyalty. Plus two. Discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card is discarded this way draw an additional card minus three return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield minus 11 destroy up to six target non-land permanents then create six two two green cat warrior creature tokens with four swap i like this card i think that this is one of the planeswalkers that actually synergizes really well uh, drawing cards powerful getting lands back from your graveyard can be especially powerful if you are playing a deck that is built around that with your wastelands and strip mines and other uh, lands along those lines so it feels like a worthy commander and that's not even including like Gitrog monsters and some of the other synergy pieces that will probably be in the deck or at least you can put in the deck if you're upgrading it so this I think is 
maybe my favorite Planeswalker of the bunch that we saw today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool. Uh, it's certainly on flavor. If I wanted to build a gen deck that had to do with lands, this is something that I certainly would do. Um, what what was the the ultimate again? It makes a bunch of cats. How many cats does it make? You you destroy six non-land permanents and make six 2-2 two, two cats with Forest Walk. Okay. Yeah, that's... I kind of wish that, like... The ultimate would have had something to do with the number of lands that you controlled, but hitting six permanents is a pretty good thing. Yeah, it's like a like a <laughs> super hex sort of, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just a, a, a cool value card. I'm excited to see like what other value style cards uh, end up being in this commander set or in that that particular commander deck. Especially if there's something cool that could potentially go into the lands deck and legacy with Deathrite Shaman being gone. I feel like lands is uh, kind of have a whole new lease on life so anything cool that they can do would be uh welcome so this is the most straightforward commander i think it's just like looting and then returning cards i want to do land destruction when i see this like you return wasteland and strip mine every turn but this also just straight up ramps you so that minus three ability uh if you're just playing a land every turn uh, you're just ramping yourself by two cards, which in itself is pretty powerful, and you're in a land-based deck, so uh, those lands could do other things besides adding mana, so you're not only getting the mana ramp, but you could be getting Maze of Iths and stuff that you, say, faithlessly looted away in the first turn. So it's pretty strong. The ultimate is weird. I don't know why the Cat Warriors have Forest Walk, but they do. So that that's a little strange, but I think this is a pretty strong card but would you run it over say something like get rock monster uh that that is a question this this card is not clearly you know the number one you know commander which i think is good there's upsides and there's alternates which i think we should have so i i like how this card is designed i think i mean it's nice that you get an extra color like having red in there i don't know exactly what that adds to a Gitrog monster type strategy maybe like seismic assault combos or something where you can discard lands and get them back that way so i think there's enough differences between lord Windgrace and gitrog monster that they might not be directly competing i don't know but i think there are reasons to play a a red splash in your gitrog monster style deck all right so before we move on to the commanders real quick going around the table what is who of these commanders that are spoiled today or leaked today which one is your favorite uh i like saheeli the most and it's not just because i'm a fan of doing busted things i'm a fan of doing busted things with artifacts (laughs) (laughs) i think saheeli is probably the best but i think lord wingrace is my favorite i just really like strip mining people and being able to get back my strip mines is that's like exactly what i want to be doing so i'm gonna go with estrid i i I think creating a a token enchantment is pretty cool and even though i don't understand that minus one ability i think it's actually pretty cool and uh there's, there's a lot of room for creativity with the ability to basically untap anything now i'm sure people will come up with all kinds of crazy decks to use estrid in it also lets you like take advantage of uh, constellation triggers from enchantments entering the battlefield, which is kind of cool. Yeah. All right, uh, we have two more cards I think we want to talk about. Uh, some more legendary creatures. So when I describe the art, we have the, the knight with the lion helmet. Well, we have the card now. It's a Varchild, a Betrayer of Keldor, two in a red, 3-3, three, three, legendary creature, human knight. 
When Varchild deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1-1 red survivor creature tokens. Survivors your opponents control can't block, and they can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. When Varchild leaves the battlefield, gain control of all survivors. And Varchild is a rare. So, so that means we just need to make all of our opponent's creatures survivors? Yep. Yes! And then a uh, nice, combo. N- yeah. Nice comedian, Colossus nerd. Can't do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like this card. I don't think this card is good in the sense that you will just stick this in your deck and it will be powerful. I think it's actually pretty bad, but it's really unique. And I think it's a really fun style of card to build around. I've messed around before with decks that are looking to give your opponents tokens and then take advantage of it. Almost like with like trespassers, curses and back calls and other things that make it uh, almost like reverse group hug, I guess group slug where yes, you're giving your opponents things, but it's actually painful and hurting them. So I think far child can be, really cool in the 99 of a deck like that but i don't think this is a legend that you want to play as your commander or that you just want to play randomly in your knight's deck or something like that well there's also a lot of the cards that combo with it aren't red yeah so yeah that is a big problem so it's not like najila where you can just like put whatever colors you want into your deck to try and synergize with this mono red commander that happens to be five colors it's this thing is only red, and if you want to take advantage of it, you, you know you need spells outside of that color. Yeah, I actually really like this card. It is very unique, and there are ways to use it, and it's it's self mitigating because if you had just the first ability, whenever you hit someone, you get creatures, and then they can't block. People will just be like, "Oh, okay, let me just kill Varchild, and then I can block." Uh, but when that happens, you get all the survivors now. So you're just it's kind of like a win-win for you right as long as you keep making survivor tokens they can't attack you and the minute they remove our child you get all the survivors so you're you're still ahead so i really like that aspect i like the political aspect of it where someone will let you get free hits in so they get soldiers to do whatever they want maybe they want to sacrifice them maybe they want to attack another player uh but they can't attack you so i i like how you're just creating this chaos you're just sitting there uh, giving people creatures, they all attack each other, and then you swoop in for the victory at the last minutes. Kind of the Richard thing to do. So I really like, I really like this card. It's just so unique, and it's not just a weird red card that rummages or something, right? It actually has a very unique ability. Uh, next up, we have a legendary that a lot of people will be familiar with. We have Thanos, Urza's Apprentice. A 1-3 legendary creature, human artificer, mythic rare, uh, has haste, blue and a red, tap, copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an artifact source. Uh, you may choose new targets for the copy. Oh, this, this sounds like uh, somebody who has a panharmonicon in their pocket. <laughs> Yeah, this this might be my favorite card of the day. I just, oh man, I love doubling up triggers, and you can do a lot of cool things. Like, you have Panharmonicon itself, which is an artifact. You have, like, Mirror Works, which lets you make more artifacts, and then you copy the triggers, and you get more Panharmonicon triggers. And that's not even including the simple stuff. Like, we've seen Servos and Thopters being uh, kind of really supported in this deck. You make some Servos and Thopters, you Skull Clamp them, two mana, you get to double up your card draw trigger. Even something as simple as 
is that, where you just have this repeatable draw four for like three mana with Skull Clamp, there's a lot you can do with this, and it's only two mana. And that's a huge upside for a commander, being able to cast it early and then recast it easily if it dies. So I really like this card, and I think it's a really sweet card to build around. It's just another two-mana legendary that makes Mox Amber even more appealing. Ooh, that's a good point. All right, we're going to sneak in one more spoiler. Echo Storm. Three blue blue. Is this wizard's attempt to fix Storm? (laughs) (laughs) When you cast the spell, it's a sorcery. When you cast the spell, copy it. For each time you cast your commander from the command zone this game, you may choose new targets for the copy. Create a token that's a copy of target artifact. Eh, it's fine. I think it's actually pretty decent. Even if you even if you copy it once, so you cast your commander one time, getting two copies of an artifact for five mana, that's not bad. And there's definitely some upside in the late game with the right commander that you're casting over and over again, that it can be super insane if you get a whole bunch of copies. So I think it's decent. I really like the design of it. I think the fact that commanders have commander tax, so you naturally are keeping track of how many times you cast it because of that makes it a really like sneaky way to make a card like this work. Yeah, I mean it, it, it strikes me as something similar to Sahili's Artistry um, but when you think about the deck that it's going to be in um, and like I feel like you're going to be casting your commander probably multiple times you know, even getting to copy something once is pretty sweet. Like let's say you just get to copy your Gilded Lotus and now you just have three Gilded Lotus. That seems pretty cool. Yeah. This this is Fixed Storm, in my opinion, and they really fixed it because you have to cast your commander from the command zone, so you can't bounce your commander and keep, you know, replaying it to storm off. It actually has to come from your command zone, which means every single time you cast it, it's two more mana. Pretty hard to go off on a single turn and up that commander storm count. So... This is Fixed Storm, and I wonder if they're going to try more variants of it. I wonder if we're going to get a Storm variant that's not based on your commander, that has something to do with that, like maybe a Landfall Storm or something. Like, this opens up all kinds of possibilities now that we see that, you know, even though Storm is actually 10 on the Storm scale, they're still willing to play with it and, you know, try new things. I, I actually really like the design space for this Commander Storm. And I hope to see some more in these four decks and moving forward. Just because it's like so cool and flavorful, especially when you can design the card to kind of tie in to the commander. So like I, I could see a um, like a graveyard or reanimation based commander where it's just like five mana, you know, reanimate something, but it has commander storm, so you can just like reanimate multiple things, uh, something that just does a bunch of damage, things like that. I think it's a really cool design space, like facilitates this play where you're just like casting your commander and doing cool things and not trying to be as busted as possible, um, but still using this this storm mechanic because it's it's very fun and it's proven to be fun because people keep trying to make storm work in every format that you can. Um, but it's still kind of balanced and like wants you to play cool magic with your commanders. I might actually make me cast my commander, which I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> all right, I think that's all the spoilers we want to talk about today. I think throughout this week, so by the time we get to next podcast, we should have 
everything, I think. It, it sounds like they want to do a deck every day, so we'll get more on the synergies with the other commanders and see what the the alternate legendaries are, because with every deck they, they add a bunch of extra legendaries which you can swap in as your commander, and that also gives you a pretty good idea of what they're trying to do with those decks. Well, let's move on from the world of Commander. Yeah, we'll revisit next week when we have the full set. But let's talk a little bit, just briefly, about the tournaments this weekend. So uh, we had a team open, which uh, features all three of the big formats, Legacy, Modern, also Standard. We also had a SCG Standard and Modern Classic. So uh, did anything stand out to either of you about the, the tournament scene this weekend? Yeah, there were a few things. Um, in standard, there was a lot of mono green aggro, which makes me happy. Vine Mare is just pooping all over these Scarab Gods, which is great. Uh, in the team open, the modern seat in the finals was a mono green Tron mirror. So uh, they are carning it up, that is for sure. Uh, one cool thing is in the legacy open, uh, or in the legacy seat in the team open, Oliver 2 was playing a Grixis Death Shadow deck in legacy, which is pretty sweet. Uh, now that Deathrite Shaman is gone, we're seeing kind of branching out to some different creatures. The deck that won the Legacy Classic was a black-green Depths deck that splashed blue for Brainstorm, because why not? Uh, and the Modern Classic was won by a Todd Stevens deck, Scred Red, with a bunch of dragons and four copies of Sarkin Fireblood. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this weekend was pretty cool for Magic, especially if you love dragons and big green creatures. Yeah, I think uh, that was that was a really cool deck. I really like this Red Dragons deck. Definitely super unique and looks pretty powerful. Also, it doesn't show up in the SCG results, but on social media I learned that Mono Blue Storm in Standard, uh, the Aetherflux Reservoir Storm deck, actually won Dutch Nationals. So that deck is like, I think it showed up in the Classic as well, in the top Eight, if I if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, seventh at the classic mono blue paradoxical outcome storm. So that deck is like suddenly becoming legit a couple of months before rotation. It took uh, um, over a year for people to figure it out and get the right pieces, but it's kind of cool to see that deck actually becoming a real deck in standard. I think Psy Master Thopterist was like the missing piece for that deck. Uh, yeah, Psy is very, very strong in that deck. Uh, yeah, I think that is a big reason for it as well. As far as standard, uh, other than the Storm deck continuing to like develop, nothing super crazy. Lots of red aggro, lots of mono green, lots of Nicol Bolas mid-rangey style decks. Except, again, this is a second weekend in a row where... Teferi just hasn't really been a huge story. Like, it wasn't that long ago. People were legitimately saying maybe Teferi needs to be banned, and it seems like that problem, at least for the time being, has more or less solved uh, itself. Yeah, I think I, when I play Arena, I don't see control decks at all anymore. And before, it used to be maybe 50-60% of the metagame, so control... It's, Probably a hard time to be a control player right now. Yeah, I think, like, the, the control-ish decks that I've been seeing are more like the Grixis mid-range, like Scarab God decks that are, I guess, calling them control in the sense where you're, like, countering and sweeping the board every turn and then winning with Approach of the Second Zones or Teferi putting itself back in the deck. I haven't seen those decks as much uh, recently either. So the control deck, I think, by default, is, like, Scarab God mid-rangey decks of various... Like, some are more aggro, some are more controlling, but that seems like the 
control-esque deck at the moment. I think one of the, the biggest contributors to that is that the threats are just all so diverse. It's very difficult to just have the right answers, right? Like, you might have sweepers, but they could just have, like, a heavy planeswalker and vehicle draw, and you just lose the Heart of Kirin. Like, you might have, you know, answers to Heart of Kirin, but they just draw a bunch of vine mares and kill you that way. Um, it, the threats are just all so diverse, and there's not a ton of really good counter spells either. So I think that we may see a little bit of a resurgence in control once the rotation happens and we get some sweet cards from Guilds of Ravnica. But for now, like it's just you're not good enough because you can't have the right answers all the time because the threats are so diverse. Yeah, I think that uh, that's what I think as well. I think control definitely still has a lot of good pieces. So post rotation, it's got a it's got a definite chance. So not gonna say Teferi's bad forever or anything, but for right now, I think you're right, and I think Vinemare might be a big reason for that. Like uh, stuff like Voraska's Contempt or Cast Out was kind of like the catch all and. Vinemare really throws a wrench in that plan. If you are you have all this targeted removal that can cover Planeswalkers and Scarab Gods and Hazorats, then all of a sudden you can still just lose to a Vinemare or something along those lines. So, I don't know. I think that M19 has had a bigger impact on Standard immediately than I was expecting. Uh, with the Nicole Bolas decks, uh, it pushed Control mostly out of the format. So, I was expecting M19 to have a big impact after rotation, but I feel like it's done more quicker than I expected it to. Anyway, any other tournament thoughts before we uh, move on to our lightning round and then fish mail? All right, so uh, lightning round, this is just a special thing for this week. We each kind of have one really brief topic we wanted to bring up. We're not going to go in depth on it, but uh, we wanted to cover them briefly. So we're going to go around the table, each talk a little bit about our topic. So Richard, you can go first. You spent this past weekend at San Diego Comic-Con. So how was that? Any sweet stories? Uh, fill us in on SDCC. Uh, it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, it, it is so cool. It is unbelievable how big it is. Uh, it's a full convention center, and they basically, all of downtown is transformed. They have all these little, uh, all the big companies, like, make kind of, like, displays for the weekend, and there are events, there are game rooms, uh, you can do some zip lining, uh, as part of, like, you know, promotion for the various TV shows. But what I want to talk about was magic itself. So, Comic-Con Planeswalkers. Uh, every day they were sold out. Uh, so at the end of the convention, they open it up to sell whatever they have left. There were no Planeswalker sets left. So those were gone. And judging from the reaction, these are going to be hot. These are not like last year's or the years before where they're middling cards. It seems like everyone wants these. Uh, the line for Therese Nielsen to sign was outrageous. I was talking to Seth. I wonder if... The line will be short because everyone here doesn't know about magic and no one cares. And nope, they're outrageously long, just like a Grand Prix. And uh, magic's presence was overall pretty disappointing. So I, I know Seth has a topic and I'm curious what Hasbro has to say about this. But Hasbro had a very large booth. Uh, you know, they had their big store and there was a lot of emphasis on Transformers, My Little Pony. Magic had a little corner and... They were just giving out welcome decks. There was no area on the main hall to learn. I actually learned how to play the Final Fantasy TCG, which had a bigger presence on the main floor. Uh, there was a huge area to play Yu-Gi-Oh! 
And uh, so all the, the other TCGs seem to have more presence. Uh, Magic had an actual entire tournament area, but it was not on the main hall. It was in one of the side hotels. You can go there to play Magic. But uh, not too much to help, say, new players walk by and say, oh, what is that card? Can you teach me? And stuff like that. No arena presence, which is weird. Uh, and somewhat related is Transformers TCG cards. So they didn't demo them at all, but there was there was an exclusive where you can buy them, similar to the Planeswalker set we have for Magic. Those were sold out too. So it'd be interesting to see how hot that game is. And it is Hasbro. Uh, I don't know what Wizards of the Coast involvement in that game is, but it is another card game from the same company. So I'm curious where that goes as well. I think that it's a Wizards game, I'm pretty sure, but I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure Wizards is making the Transformers game. Yeah, Wizards is making yeah. the Transformers game. And like, I, I don't know what you're complaining about. You should have just got as many of the green welcome decks as you could. Lanor Elf is like $100. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that sounds like an awesome trip. Uh, I wanted to mention, we had the Q2 reports for Hasbro today, which, uh, if you're not familiar, it's where you talk about all the financial stuff. They have to do it every quarter because they're a public company. And while there's lots of stuff about all different Hasbro properties, there was some interesting magic news. And uh, a couple of just quick hitters from the financial reports. Magic had a good quarter. It was mentioned multiple times that Magic was up on the quarter. And actually, like, the franchise brands for Hasbro was down somewhat on the corner as they're working through, like, Toys R Us clothes and some other issues, but Magic was specifically mentioned as one of the reasons that it wasn't down as much as it could have been because Magic had a strong quarter. So that was, I think, really good news. People were a little nervous after Q1, which kind of felt like Magic didn't have a great quarter, even though it's hard to dig through everything. But regardless, definitely good news there. The other thing was they did a conference call with Hasbro CEO. He got asked a couple of Magic questions, but one was about Magic Arena and digital Magic. And he mentioned that there are now a million people in the closed beta, which is a pretty big number, and I was a little surprised by uh, by that number, but that's a lot of people in the closed beta, and he reiterated once again that they're planning on releasing Arena this year. So that means in the next, what, five months or something? We're like halfway through the year, and I was wondering if they were sticking to that timeline, but once again today, he said that that's the plan, so... Interesting. Interesting magic news. Good in general and uh, interesting as far as Magic Arena is concerned. Jeez, yeah, that's a that's a, a quick deadline, if I must say yeah. so myself. Uh, so, Chris, you had uh, some interesting thoughts on a certain BioBox promo. Yeah, so when the, the current BioBox promo, Nexus of Fate... Uh, was spoiled. We talked about it a bit here on the cast, and I expressed some concerns about how this is the type of card that I was hoping that they would never print, um, because it, while it may seem uh, niche, if it starts to catch on, uh, it will skyrocket in price. Um, in addition to that, it just seems like something that a lot of commander decks would want. And what we're seeing now is you can't, it's not available on Arena. It's like $30 on Magic Online, you can only get it in treasure chests. And we're seeing players like Zach Elsick and Ali Entrazi putting in a lot of work with the card and having some success with it on Magic Online. And even though it hasn't 
had that success at a large tournament like an SCG Open or a Grand Prix, like we are still seeing a lot of buzz about it, and it's pushing the price up. You know, it's twenty dollars and sold out at most places, so it's very difficult to get a hold of this card. Now imagine rotation happens. The best deck is like a control deck with Tefiri that allows you to kind of abuse Nexus of Fate. How it works is you can float mana in your end step with the trigger, untap your lands, and then cast it. So you only have to have five lands to cast it if you have a Teferi. Um, and then what happens there? Like, it's not like they can just make more. It's the buy a box promo. It was only available for this limited amount of time. And it could end up being 40 or $50, which seems rough for a card that you might not even be lucky enough to find at any place that has them. Yeah, yeah, I was very concerned about that too, and the recent news from, like you mentioned, Zach Elsick, Leon Trazi, makes me feel like maybe this is the card that is the worst case. That's always what people have been saying, like, well, don't freak out too much, it hasn't happened yet, but we might be actually seeing it happen now, and having this ridiculously expensive buy a box promo, so I don't know, I love the card, and I like extra turn decks, and I like Zach Elsick decks, and Ileon Trazi decks, so it's hard for me to root against it, but I, I have in the back of my head, like, once some one top eight to SCG with this or something. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be so bad. Yeah, I mean, a, a good example of what that type of success can do to a card. Look at Arcane Artisan from Battle Bond. Like it was three dollars, ten dollars for a foil, and now they're everywhere twenty twenty five dollars for the regular, a hundred plus for the foils. Like all all that needs to happen is for one deck to top eight an SCG open with Nexus of Fate in it, and it's going to double in price. And and that's a legacy card, and just the number of people playing legacy and needing legacy cards is tiny compared to standard. Like, if it breaks out in standard, that's it will be way worse than Arcane Artisan. And also, like, what kind of experience is that for a player that's not a spike, right? Like, I'm not following SCG stuff. I'm just, like, kind of doing my own thing. And I see this really cool buy a box promo, and it's like, oh, man, you know, I or I only got one when I bought my box. This card's cool. I want to get some more. Let's go see how much it is. $20? Like, that, that creates such a bad feeling, a terrible experience for that player. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that it's right now the second most expensive card from M19, quote-unquote, behind Nicole Bolas, uh, more expensive than every other card in the set, so... Oh, man. Well, why we still have a few minutes left, let's move on to fish mail. So, Richard, why don't you take it away with our fish mail this week? All right, if you have questions, send them to the hashtag MDGFishMail on Twitter, and we'll get to your questions on air. So, Zangle B, if they keep printing commander-specific cards, won't there come a time when every deck has the same auto-concludes and everyone is just playing the same cards in each color? Hmm. Maybe. I think... So far, I think Wizards has done a pretty good job, where even the commander-specific cards, for the most part, aren't must-includes. There are exceptions uh, with something like Command Tower, like you just play that in every deck, but I think they've done a pretty good job so far. I think I would be more worried about Wizards, like Najila, for example, just being so good as your warrior commander that it's going to be very hard for Wizards to ever top that. So you kind of just, like, if you build warriors, you 
rebuild Najila. So I would be more concerned about, or Brea might be another example. Like, it's going to be very hard for them to make a better artifact commander than Brea. So that would be what I'm more concerned about, is commanders that are pushed so hard that you almost have to play them if you're going to build the best version of a certain archetype. Yeah, that's certainly a little bit of a concern, but I think the saving grace is that, like, not everybody always wants to build the best version of an archetype, and in fact, not being the best is the driving factor behind a lot of people's motivation for building and playing commander decks. So as long as people like that weird stuff that's out there, I don't think it'll ever actually end up being an issue. Yeah, I don't think there'll there'll be an issue because people just like to play the cards they like to play with. So, I mean, if you're a spike and you're trying to build, let's say, mono black good stuff, then yeah, maybe your deck does look like another person who's trying to do the same thing. But a lot of people don't play mono black good stuff. They play, you know, a sacrifice deck, a, a pack rack deck, a pack pack rat deck or you know rat colony deck whatever right like they they just want to do weird stuff in commander so i don't think that's a problem and even in the case of Najila, i don't think she's that big of a problem because there are other ways you can make warrior decks like wizards can print a go big warriors deck where you don't focus on going wide but you focus on making giant warriors so i think there's always room to play around and i don't I don't think we're ever going to get there. You know, maybe in 10, 15 years after they've made a million Commander products, we, we might get there. But something tells me that Commander is more about self-expression and building a deck around a theme or building a deck around something you like. So people people will always have different things to build. And not everyone's going to build kind of the tier one spike best deck, which no matter what cards are printed, there's always kind of a correct answer to that or, you know, a group of correct answers if you're trying to build the absolute best cutthroat decks. Uh, next question, we have X Capitano. Do you guys believe in conspiracy theories like Secret Rarity, aka Uncommon 1.5, or the fact that Watsi would control supply so that the secondary market skyrockets? Uh, in general, no. I mean, I do think it's true that Wizards intentionally, with Dominaria, released a small first supply run, and I don't know the exact reasons for that, but I, I don't even know if that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's, like, just what happened, but I don't really buy into the, like, uh, uh, mythic uncommons and stuff like that. Like, I've just never seen anyone present real evidence for that outside of things like, oh, I opened a case and I got less fatal pushes than I felt like I should have. And half the time you got, they actually got the amount that you would expect and they just don't realize how many fatal pushes you open out of the average boxer case. So I don't know. I don't buy into, uh, into that one in specific. Yeah. I think it, it's like, there isn't anything to gain from purposefully shorting to generate a demand. Like, it it would hurt them in the long run if that ever were their motive and it got brought to light. Yeah, I think uh, to echo Seth, there probably is something they're doing, but I think in 99% of the time, uh, most people just see one example of something and then they jump to conclusions and just kind of uh, apply it generally. So, you know, maybe sometimes they actually do screw up rarity somehow or, you know, the number of cards in the set are such that you have an extra 
uncommon or you're missing an uncommon or something so that it is slightly more common or uncommon but I don't know how many times that would actually happen and most likely most of the time when you crack a box even if you're a store if you crack a case and you see numbers are slightly off I would imagine most of those times that's not actually relevant but maybe sometimes it is but we'll never we'll never really know and the biggest thing with that is you're assuming that wizards like is really good at predicting which cards are gonna like be very good and th- remember we just had like Felidaire Guardians and 12 standard bannings or something so even if Wizards wanted to like make the good uncommons a little bit more rare I just don't know if that's <laughs> like how practical that would actually be based on some of the power level stuff we've had recently all right next question flying zebra hot take Richard describing card art on a podcast is as enjoyable as Seth's pronouncing card names <laughs> we'll have to We'll have to team up, Richard. You describe the art. I pronounce the card names. That'll be be our new series on the YouTube we're channel. We're starting an ASMR channel, and we're, we're doing that. Uh, the card art stuff is like surprisingly popular. I do on my stream and YouTube channel. I when I do my unboxings, um, how how we do the rares is my wife, like because I work in like magic, so I like have to know all of the cards. But in order to to make it a little easier, my wife will look at the card I can't see it and then she describes the art to me and I have to try and figure out what the card is uh, and that's always pretty popular uh, chat likes to chat likes to get involved quite a bit all right uh Nat Turner hey guys would rare versions of the Karoo or bounce lands that came into play untapped be playable how much design space do you think is left for rare land cycles that would actually see play in eternal format slash be good enough for standard. I think those, uh, I think that would be very strong, actually. Untap, like, yeah, those would be way adding too an extra mana, right? That's like uh, a one-shot ancient tomb or something. Like, that seems like it would be probably too good. I agree. Yeah, like, but it, I like think... it, it, would, it, it would have to be a land that came into play untapped. You could tap for two mana, but then you just lost the game at the beginning, <laughs> like at the end of turn or something. Even, also, even that might be too yeah, good. Yeah, that might be too good, too. <laughs> I also think that there's not much room left. Like, in Legacy, I don't think we're ever going to see the dual lands slash fetch lands topped, and I think the same is kind of true for modern things to the reserve list. I would be very surprised if we get lands that are better than fetch lands plus shock lands with, like, fast lands and check lands filling in the gaps. That That's only assuming no power creep, right? Because there's real easy ways to make better lands. You can just make a dual land that gains you life or something, like, quite easily. So I, one day when we, when we decide that, you know, adding two colors of mana is no longer an overpowered thing, and that's something we want to do freely, they could just make that some kind of standard and then start tacking on, you know, more abilities. Kind of like creatures, right? Over time, creatures have gotten crazy good compared to what they started out as. Maybe over time, uh, when people are tired of getting mana screwed and moving to Hearthstone, you're like, oh, but your lands do something in magic. Look, they add two colors of mana and gain you five life and a creature and make your opponent discards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, I hope we never get to that point. (laughs) Uh, Next question, Ring of White. Would the card below be too strong? Black 1-1, Human Rogue. When Dark Highwayman enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card and exile it. You lose life equal to the number of lands revealed this way. Mm, No, that card sounds 
pretty reasonable. Was it a 3-3 three, three for 3? No, three? it's a 1-mana, 1-1. One, one. It's a Thoughtseize, where you don't lose oh, I life. Thought they said you, lose, three mana. you lose life equal to the number of lands revealed. Yeah, that oh, card is oh, oh, way yeah. too good. Yeah, no. For some reason, I was thinking you said it was three mana, and I think that would be like Vendillion clicks, sort of, or like a a different take on it. But at one mana, yeah, that no way that's happening. Yeah, even if you get like in this in this version, you don't even get the card back if you kill the creature. But even if you get the card back after killing the creature, I think it's still way too strong. Uh, Pietro Bonnie one regarding ramp and standard is Palaka Worm better than Sifter? What is the best three mana ramp? spell combination with Elvish Rejuvenator, Grow from the Ashes, and uh, Spring to Mind and Gifts of Paradise. Uh, I think Palaka Worm is better than Sifter Worm. And I think, for me, the ranking is... Uh, Gift of Paradise and Spring to Mine as like one and two, and then the other options coming in behind that if you want to go more than eight ramp spells for some reason. All right. Rannon, Dark Rider, what is your favorite card from Apocalypse? Desolation Giant, Fervent Charge, Ice Cave, Soul Link? Question mark. I, uh, I know what Desolation Giant does, so I'll go with that one. <laughs> the rest of them, I don't even know what they do. My favorite card from Apocalypse is Quicksilver Dagger. Ooh, that card's fun. Yeah, it's one. It's a one blue red aura that lets let the creature tap to ping, and when you hit the opponent, you draw a card. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I don't know what any of these cards are, and I also don't actually know the set symbol or the important cards from Apocalypse, Scourge, Legion. Uh, I. I I'm going to assume all of these sets are around the same time and they're in the same block. Am I even close? <laughs> uh, so is uh, Apocalypse... Apocalypse is, is Tempest block. Yeah. No, no, inv- uh, Invasion, Planeshift, Apocalypse. IPA, yeah. And then so, Onslaught, Scourge. So card-wise, Phyrexian Arena, Vindicate, Pernicious Steeds, those are probably the big ones, along with the first time we ever saw the Pain Lands, like Shivan Reef, Yavmyakos, or the enemy Pain Lands. So there are some there are some staples uh, there, and it's actually a really fun limited format. IPA is really fun. At least I always thought it was. That in Apocalypse was the the first introduction to the wedges. So what you know is like Mardu and Teemer had names in Apocalypse, is Raka and Seta and things like that. But they ultimately went away with it and did something different for Cons of Tarkir. I know more about Apocalypse than I <laughs> never imagined. And I, that's the time I stopped playing Magic, and there are so few cards from that era that it's just never become relevant. Uh, Taskmaster1995, are we getting more Goat Magic? I'd love to see mono-colored standard decks, Hazaret Red versus Mono Black Devotion, or whatever you guys come up with. More Goat Magic will happen. It definitely will. So I don't know if it'll be Hazaret versus Mono Black Devotion, but definitely expect more Goat Magic in the future. All right, I'll prepare myself for the Seth beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aragon the Slayer. There's a lot of talk about Esper Spirits or Bant Spirits. Is there an argument for strictly going blue-white? Uh, I have seen blue-white spirits decks since Supreme Phantom was printed, so I think there is. Your mana's better. Moreland Haunt's a good card. But it is modern, so it's pretty easy to splash. Uh, something like Collected Company, or in black, you would get Lingering Souls. So I think there's an argument, but I don't know if blue-white would be better than the splash builds. All right. Last question. 
We have Snare Johnson 664. If Tron lands can produce mana of any color, what would the best seven drop on turn three be? Would it still be Karn? Oh, jeez. Uh, maybe, maybe like a Nicobolas would be in the conversation. It might still be Karn, though. I would have to actually like look at the different seven drop options. There's probably something better that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, I mean, there has to be something that's like make your opponent discard all their cards, right? <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's probably true. Wit's End, Wit's End or something. <laughs> yeah, I think we just gotta look at commander decks and take a look at seven drops with lots of color in them. I'm sure there's something stronger than card, like like Chris said. Oh, would would that be would that be the dream, Seth? You get someone trons you, but they can produce color <laughs> mana of any color. Yeah, they, just, they just mind twist you for six on turn three. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that sounds that sounds miserable. Current colorless Karn is miserable enough. I, they don't need to be making colored mana. All right, so oh, last question here, Oralov thirty one. So Wizards is creating a Transformers TCG. Does it mean it's easier to create a new TCG than it is to make an MTG movie? Uh, probably. Prob- yeah, it's, it, it looks that way. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna say I think it's probably ridiculously easy to make a Netflix series, if not a movie nowadays. Because at Comic Con, I saw so many TV shows I didn't know that existed about random like d-tier superheroes and like zombies and stuff like people are just pumping out tv shows like no tomorrow so i don't see why we can't create a magic the gathering netflix miniseries if not a full-blown movie because now is the time to get on the superhero hype people are uh, i guess willing to accept fantasy worlds because you know comic books are basically fantasy right so i i don't know why we're not jumping on the magic movie and uh, trying to do something with it. But do you think, like, making some... uh, Like, Amazon Prime, it seems like they literally just walk up to people on the street and are like, hey, do you have any ideas for a TV show? If so, (laughs) like, film it, and we'll put it on next week. Like, is having a magic show that's that quality, is that even a good thing for the game? Or would it be a negative if we have some pretty, like, C-level throwaway, we-need-content-on-Netflix-or-Amazon-Prime TV show? I, I think if you're gearing it for adults, it has to be good. If you're gearing it for children, I don't know how good it needs to be. <laughs> like, 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 why don't we even have, like, a Saturday morning cartoon? And Saturday morning cartoons don't exist anymore. But, like, you know, some, like, short thing towards kids or... I, I don't know. Like, a lot of these superhero movie co- uh, TV adaptations, they're not, you know, the greatest thing ever. But they're still very watchable and they're still highly promoted by their TV network. So they must be profitable. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's easy to make a Magic TV show, and it's probably surprising that it hasn't happened yet, but I do think it's actually very hard to make a good Magic TV show that would be actual, like, good TV or movie. You also have to keep in mind that, like, if they were to make some type of TV show or a movie or that type of media and use characters that are, like, currently being used in the game... It would be very hard for them to do something in the game other than what happens in the TV show because that's what people are going to be expecting from those characters. Ooh, that's a that is a good point too. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe like historical characters or old characters would be better. Yeah, they just need to modernize it, like Planeswalker High School. 
and like Jace is a kid and he's having he's having high school troubles with Liliana and oh, his, his oh, sparking no. nights. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, basically what all oh, the new boy. shows are right they're 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 set in like some relatable universe instead of some fantasy you know crazy out there thing because you got to keep the special effects down right you can't just have beasts and dragons and stuff all day you can't afford the cgi for that you gotta make them you know i'm at starbucks drinking a coffee and my sparking nights <laughs> uh, so, so it'd be saved by the goo collar spell <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think that, uh, on that note, we have reached the end of episode 181 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, so Richard, Chris, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back next week with a full spoiler of Commander 2018. So have a wonderful week. And this is the crew signing out.